And however you prefer, open your Bibles, Bible apps, to the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians. We are continuing our series, and it's, uh, man, it's always good just to open the Word of God with you. So Colossians is another one of Paul's prison letters. And so he wrote this to the church in Colossae, uh, a people that he had never met, and a church that he did not start. But he influenced it. It's believed that a man named Epaphras came to faith in the church that Paul started in Ephesus. And then he went back and eventually worked with Paul. And eventually he started this church in Colossians. So Colossae was on a main trade route in what is now modern day Turkey. And because of that, there was a lot of traffic. And because of a lot of traffic, there were a whole lot of ideas coming in and out of the city. And so Christianity became just another one of those ideas. This is one of the biggest challenges that the, these new believers face. Uh, and you may, be, you may remember a term that we've, we've heard it before, but it's been a while. It's the first blank on your outline. It's the term syncretism. Syncretism. Say that with me. Syncretism. It's the belief that I can take what I like from this religion. Uh, maybe for them it was uh, oriental mysticism. Or for us, it could be, I could take what I like from Hinduism or, or Buddhism or anything like this, any, anything I like, and then uh, anything I like even from Christianity. And I can, I can handpick something that is tailor-made just for me and uh, anybody else who wants to believe like me. But the problem with that is, hopefully you can see it, this just becomes another empty religion. Because Jesus does not need a tailor. He is one size fits all hearts who truly repent of their sin and come to him in faith. And so the question becomes for the Colossians and for us, what makes Jesus different than all these other statues that are worshipped in all these other temples? And so Colossians will answer that, Paul's letter to these people. Uh, now if you think about it, uh, we're kind of in a similar place. According to the latest studies, there are currently about 4,300 world religions. 4,300. Now, obviously, some have a bigger following than that. But what makes Christianity different? And the answer is the gospel. <laughs> the gospel makes Christianity different. The good news of Jesus. We've been looking at it for over uh, a year and my prayer is that for us, that this gospel would never lose its power. That there would always be a, a sense of awe in what Jesus has done. So think about your life, think about your heart just for a minute and be really honest. Do you ever become indifferent to it? Do you ever hear the gospel and you think, you know what, I've heard this before. There's always a risk of us becoming unenamored with Jesus. There's always a risk of, of Christians losing their joy and their awe in the gospel. It's been said that we should preach the gospel to ourselves daily because we are prone to forget. And that's what the Colossian church, that's where they were when Paul wrote to them. A little distracted, being pulled away, tempted to shrink back, curious about what other people and what other teachings people were believing other than Christ. 
And so Paul wrote to clear some things up and remind them why this gospel of Jesus is so awe-inspiring. No matter how long you've believed it, no matter how many times we've heard it, it is still awe-inspiring. Colossians 1, 3 is where we'll start today. And we'll try to make our way through the first chapter here. Um, It says this, verse 3, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and for your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So a few things right here in these verses that makes Christianity and makes the gospel of Jesus different than other religions. Why should it still be awe-inspiring to us today? First of all, because it is received by faith. It is received by faith. Uh, Verses 3 and 4. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we have talked a lot about faith in our study of the gospel. It's appropriate. Faith. the, The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen, Hebrews tells us. And we can admit, every other world religion requires faith in something. And that's why the object of our faith truly matters. Because Jesus is worthy. See, other, other religions use a combination of faith and works. The gospel of Jesus just requires faith that leads to works. There is a significant difference. Remember, it's not Jesus and anything. It is just Jesus. Now, faith includes complete trust in Him. Faith includes repentance from sin. Faith includes commitment to God. And it results in a changed life if it comes from the heart and not just the mind. Here we go again with head knowledge versus heart knowledge. Ephesians 2.8 says, It is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And that is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, we can still rejoice today in our faith in what Jesus has done. We can be in in awe of the fact, we don't have to try to earn it, it is a gift. And that's one way that the gospel is different from all other world religions. Number two on your outline, it results in love. This gospel results in love. We give thanks, once again, verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Galatians 5, the first fruit of the Spirit listed is love. And we've seen this a lot as well in the gospel because it is the foundation of the gospel. Agape love. Uh, Not self-seeking, not conditional. This is a God-type love. And and let me just remind us all, myself included, that love is a fruit of the Spirit, not a gift of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit living in us manufactures fruit in all believers. In fact, we cannot manufacture it on our own apart from the Spirit living in us. 
And there's not a lot of agape love in our world today. There's a lot of self-seeking love. There's a lot of conditional love. You scratch my back and I'll scratch your back type of love. There's a lot of, well, you know, as long as you believe like I do, then I'll love you. But then if you don't, then I'm going to hate you type love. See, religion doesn't change that. Religion doesn't require a change. Religion says as long as you do this list of works, as long as you punch the spiritual time clock and put in the hours, as long as you do enough good to outweigh your bad, then you're good. But a relationship with Jesus does change us. A relationship with Jesus gives us the power to change because we cannot do it on our own. This is another way that the gospel makes us as believers different from the world. When we agape love each other unconditionally, unself-servingly, even the ones we don't agree with, even the ones we may not particularly like, even the, the weird ones. Okay, so just time out. If, if, if when I said that, you kind of think, well, I don't really know any weird ones. Maybe it's you. I don't know. Just, uh, I'm just saying. We're glad you're here. You know? We're glad you're here. Man, even the ones that hurt us, even the ones whose life choices have left them at their lowest low, doesn't mean we're, we're going to be best friends. Sometimes we have to love from a distance. But agape love is part of what is attractive of the gospel. Because the lost world outside cannot get that kind of love anywhere else. This gospel is different and awe-inspiring because it is received by faith, not by works, and because it results in love. Number three, it brings hope. It brings hope. Verse three again, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Uh, Church, there is hope laid up for us in heaven. There's hope. What what do we have to hope for? Our future is described as everlasting life. It's described as an inheritance in the Word. It's a gift from God. And while it's really, it's it's hard to to wrap our minds all around it, let's just consider a few things. No more sickness. No more hurt. No more aches and pains, no more worries, no more bills, no more internal struggles, no more addictions, no more temptations, no more comparing ourselves to someone else and coming up short, no more strained relationships, no more wondering why this person walked out on me, no more death, no more judgment, only good, only joy, only peace, only worship in the presence of the one who gave his life so that we could be with him. A place prepared just for you. A place prepared just for me. This is the eternal life that we hope for. This is the inheritance. This is the gift of God. And in this hope, we believe only Jesus can bring it. This hope is why we should never lose our sense of awe and wonder with the gospel. This hope is why we endure. This hope is why we daily die to self. This hope is why living for Jesus is worth it no matter the cost. 
I heard something this morning that just really spoke to me on, on my way, way to church. You can't have victory without a battle. Without a preach. You can't have victory without a battle. Uh, the late missionary, Jim Elliott, he said this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was murdered by the natives that he went to evangelize. You've probably heard his story. Then his widow and his daughter moved to Ecuador to live with those same natives. And about two years later, the tribe accepted Jesus. He knew the hope. Hebrews 6.19 talks about This hope we have as an anchor for our soul. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 1 Peter 1.3 tells us that we have a living hope. We sang about it this morning. Psalm 39.7 And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Church, are we, are we still hoping in Him? Or if you're honest, have you just kind of lost hope? Maybe because He didn't do what you thought he, he would and should do. I don't know why. Maybe you just become distracted. If we put our hope in a God that we manufacture, we will end up disappointed every time. And that's, that's when the gospel starts losing its power from our perspective. When we stop putting our hope in our eternity in heaven with Him, we automatically start putting it somewhere else, something else. And I can tell you with complete certainty, anything else that we put our hope in will always disappoint. It will not satisfy, it will pass away, and it will leave you wanting no matter what Jesus is our only hope and some of us probably need to recommit to that being true in our lives today hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering he who promised is faithful what makes this gospel different than any other religion well it's received by faith not by works it results in love it results in a life change it brings hope you look at the text, you can probably figure out number four. It is the truth. It is the truth. Verse three, once again. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Uh, we've already stated there's not a lot of agape love in our world today. There's not a lot of truth either. And, and I hate to burst anybody's bubble, but um, we can't believe everything we see on TV. I know, it's, it's shocking. I, I believe it was uh, Abraham Lincoln who said, we can't believe everything we see on the internet. I believe that's, that's who uh, quoted, just quoting that, you know. Um, you know, honestly, sometimes I, I become so jaded by the lies that we see in these places that I don't really know, I don't want to believe much of anything. It's hard to know what's true and what's a lie. But in one of his seven I am statements, Jesus said this in John fourteen six, I am 
the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it doesn't say I am a way, I am a truth, I am a... He is the truth. And so this statement implies that there are other ways that are false that will claim to get us there. Matthew seven thirteen, Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. See, Jesus is the only true way. What he says is accurate. We can trust his words because they are based on facts. And notice John 14, 6. It didn't say um, he is not just truth. He is the truth. He is the foundation upon which all truth is based. Therefore, what he says about salvation and what he says he has done, what he says he will do, it is trustworthy. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, they had this conversation in John 18, 37. Pilate said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? It's a question that has rang throughout the ages. What is truth? What can we believe when we don't know what to believe? And the answer is, the gospel is truth. How do I know that? How can, how can, I, how can I say something like that? Well, there's plenty of evidence outside, but the biggest evidence in my life is how I've witnessed to be true myself. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've experienced Jesus being true. The gospel is in accordance with fact and reality. That's what truth means, in accordance with fact and reality. The gospel is accurate and exact. The gospel is opposite of all the lies that Satan tries to throw at us daily to get us distracted and off course. The only thing that truly matters in this life What do we do with the truth? What do we do with the truth? Because that's what believers will have to give an account for. That's what unbelievers will be judged for. What do we do with the gospel? How did it affect our lives? How did we hinder the gospel? Did it manifest manifest itself in our lives? In hope and love and faith. Verse 3, once again, and then we'll continue. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the gospel of truth which has come to you as it has also in all the world and it is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of the God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. 
So a couple more things right there in those verses. Why is the gospel different and awe-inspiring here today? Well, notice it's bearing fruit universally. Right there in verse 6, it said, in all the world. And this is true fruit, not false fruit. Notice in verse 7, Epaphras is our example. He was responsible for taking the message to the Colossians. Just like we are responsible for taking the message to our town, our state, our country, and our world. Chapter 1 continues. Verses 9-14 through 14 show us yet another heartfelt prayer that Paul prayed for these believers. One that we can pray for our loved ones. See if you can see it. For this reason, he says in verse 9, uh, for all of this truth that we've just talked about, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And notice the prayer here. And to ask that you may be first filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may secondly walk worthy of the Lord. And then he explains kind of what that looks like. Fully pleasing to Him. Being fruitful in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Third, that you would be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. And number four, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So you can write these down. Four things filled with knowledge. This is Paul's prayer. The knowledge of God. Notice it's specific. Because we can find knowledge in a lot of different places. How do we get knowledge? We, we study, right? What, what do you study to get knowledge of God? The Word. So Paul was praying for these Colossians that they would have a hunger for the Word of God. Boy, we could use that in our lives, couldn't we? Secondly, to walk worthy of the Lord. Walk worthy of the Lord. A, a, a worthy walk. Fully pleasing Him. Fruitful in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Third, that we would be strengthened. Strength with all might according to His power, not the power of the world, not my power, but God's power. And then forth there that they would be thankful. Thankfulness. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. No other religion offers the forgiveness of sins. We finish here today. Let me just state this. I believe that God's word is inspired. It is without error. It is incapable of error. It is complete. But if I were writing this, right here, I would put in one little phrase, and it's the last blanks on your outline. Are you ready for it? You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because these next verses are what we sang. This is what separates Jesus from all the others. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, that word image means perfect replica. You want to know what the invisible God looks and acts like? Look to Jesus. You, know what, you want to know what the invisible God sounds like? Listen to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God because He is God, the firstborn over all creation.
creation. And when we hear that word firstborn over all creation, don't think of it in terms of, of time, but think of it in terms of rank. Jesus is first. His name is above every other name. As we'll see in these next verses, He cannot be both created and creator, but He can be of highest rank and creator. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And so church, in context, this is why Jesus is different from every other idol. Because these things are not true of any other. This is why Christianity is still awe-inspiring. For me, it's been 32 years. It's still awe-inspiring. Not because of me, not because of you, but because of who we worship. This is why we must continue to move forward and not waver in our faith. This is why we must not get distracted with what the world has to offer. This is why the Gospel should never lose its power in our lives. Because of Jesus. And Lord willing, this is where we'll pick it up next week. I want to encourage you uh, to, to read through Colossians. It's an, it's an easy read. We're going to try to finish it next week. But there is so much rich truth. I believe it will bless you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? As we go into a time of, of commitment and invitation, asking the Lord to just speak to our hearts. And asking Him to give us the strength that we need to do what He says. What has God said to you? What are you going to do about it?